Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. It is a delight to be with you this morning. I'm excited about our passage. Thank you, worship team, for leading us so well to sing praises to our King. Singing with the saints of God prepares our hearts to receive the Word of God. And I pray that your heart is eager to receive God's Word this morning. What, what an exciting passage. Turn, turn with me to Hebrews 11. We'll focus on verses 11 through 16. As we've been walking through the book of Hebrews, uh, most specifically through chapter 11, we're trying to find out from the writer what exactly faith is, right? What does faith look like? What is it? And the writer tells us this in chapter 11. I want to read verse 1 uh, to remind us of how faith is defined. Then I want us to jump to verse 11. Verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 11, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the writer of Hebrews pens these words. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Verse 11, by faith even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life. Since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead, at that, as many descendants. As the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith, without receiving the promises. But having seen them, from, having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance... And having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. Verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is... A heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that your word would do its work in us as your spirit uses the word of God to impact our lives. And ultimately make us more like Christ. Do that we pray for your glory in Jesus name. Amen. Well, to say that we're living in uncertain times is probably an understatement. None of us would have predicted a year ago that we were about to enter into the year that we've just had. Now, we could all debate and talk about the severity of it, and we all have various opinions. We all have opinions, right? But the reality is this. These days are uncertain days. But as we come to our passage this morning, I want to encourage you and I want to ensure you that we have a faithful God in uncertain times. In fact, as we start with this first part of the passage that zeroes in on Sarah, as we've seen multiple examples thus far of people of faith, we, we come to Sarah first of all and, and we see that Sarah is trusting the certain promises of God in uncertainty. Well, doesn't that describe all of us to an extent? So, if we were to boil our passage down, I would 
do so this way. Faith is trusting God's faithfulness in uncertainty by knowing that what he promises is certain. Faith is trusting God's faithfulness in uncertainty by knowing that what he promises is certain. What does that look like? Well, I think, first of all, it looks like this. Faith is trusting in the faithfulness of God even when our circumstances don't make sense. Faith is trusting in the certainty of God, the faithfulness of God, even when our circumstances don't make sense. In verse 11, Sarah received the the ability to conceive beyond her time to conceive. Verse 11 again, by faith even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive. Even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. We have to go back to Genesis to kind of get a picture of what's going on here, don't we? We've done that several times already in chapter 11. But we go back to Genesis, specifically Genesis Genesis 18 at this point. Because Sarah's faith was not perfect faith. That's not what the writer's talking about. Genesis 18 reveals that quite clearly. In fact, the Lord visits Abraham and tells him that his wife, Sarah, will have a son in Genesis chapter 18, verse 10. You can look at that later today. Read that account. He says, Abraham, your wife is going to have a son. In fact, after he says that in Genesis 18, the very next verse, verse 11, Moses tells us that she was past childbearing age. Verse 12 of Genesis 18 tells us that Sarah laughed at the Lord's pronouncement to Abraham. So the Lord, three visitors show up, one of those being the Lord, and the Lord says to Abraham, Hey, the promise that I made to you back early on, even in chapter 12, and then again in chapter 15, and now again in chapter 18, the promise that I made to you, I'm going to keep my promise. You're going to have a son. Verse 12 of Genesis 18, the Bible says that Sarah laughed at the Lord's pronouncement. Have you ever been there? Something so outlandish, outlandish, something so unbelievable that you just think there's just no way. She laughs at the Lord's announcement to Abraham. Why? Because she's snooping. She's listening. Sarah then lied about laughing at the Lord's pronouncement because the Lord says why did your wife laugh when I said you're going to have a son I, 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 I didn't I didn't laugh I didn't do that you see Sarah's faith or lack of faith is not the issue in her ability to conceive don't misunderstand what the writer's saying here nor is it of anyone else that may deal with the difficulty of infertility. The issue of infertility is not, do you have enough faith to believe this can happen? Being able to conceive is not a matter of more faith or or less faith. The issue the writer makes is not about Sarah having faith, and thus she's now able to conceive, nor about if she did not have enough faith, she would not conceive. That's not the issue going on here. Rather, here's the issue. 
The issue is that Sarah had faith in God who always keeps his promises. And he had already promised that Abraham would have a child. And through his descendants, they would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. She trusted the God who is faithful. You see, God had promised Abraham a son. And ultimately, Sarah believed in the promise of God. But note, it wasn't necessarily perfect faith, but she did believe. This is not a promise that every couple will be able to conceive if they have enough faith. It is a promise for every believing couple and every single person that God is faithful. That's the promise. His word is certain, and we can always trust in God. Verse 11 makes clear that her ability to conceive was an ability not from her. By faith, Sarah herself received ability to conceive. First, I think it's important to note that every birth is ultimately from the hand of God. Ultimately, life is a gift from God. Every person born is born in the image of God and has equal value. But let me take it a step further. Every single conception is from God. And that child is an image bearer of God and has equal value value not just those born but those in the womb the writer underscores Sarah's ability to conceive as not being from her by saying this even beyond the proper time that's just a really nice way of saying she was old not only had Sarah not been able to conceive all these years. Why? Because her and Abraham had infertility challenges. And no doubt this troubled her. She wanted a child so bad. And some of you families can relate to that. And, and, and you feel the pain even now as we hear this text. Not only was she not able to conceive, but the writer says she was beyond years of being able to conceive. This is why in Genesis 18, the Lord asked Abraham, after Sarah laughs at the idea of having a baby, the Lord says to Abraham, don't miss this. Genesis 18 is anything, is anything too difficult for the Lord. What a theme that runs and is woven throughout the pages of Scripture. Don't miss that theme for Abraham and Sarah. And so I ask you, friend, is anything too difficult for the Lord? In the uncertainty of your circumstances, whatever they might be, is anything too difficult for the Lord? None of these circumstances made sense. Humanly speaking. When God first promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. Genesis 15. That didn't make sense. It didn't make sense to Abraham. 
Because Abraham, Abraham at that point had no children. So he thought, well, maybe God is going to use my servant, Eleazar. That makes a little bit more sense, God. But God's promise initially didn't make sense to Abraham. As the Lord promised Abraham innumerable descendants, that didn't make sense. So obviously he and Sarah had to help God out. Genesis chapter 16. Read these chapters later. Obviously God needed their help. He had made a promise, but he forgot, he forgot that they didn't have any kids. So they probably needed to go ahead and help him out. So what did Sarah do? She gave Abraham another wife, her own maidservant named Hagar. That was a disaster. Think about it. Rather, no, don't think about it. Can you imagine? Well, honey, I know the Lord gave us a promise. But evidently, He needs our help. Why don't you just take Hagar as another woman, another wife? Goofball said, okay. The fact that she would recommend that is beyond understanding. And the Frankly, the stupidity of saying, okay. It was a disaster. And quite frankly, brothers and sisters, we still are dealing with the effects of it today. But here it is. The Lord told Abraham he would have a son by Sarah. That didn't make sense. Why didn't it make sense? Because she was not only barren all these years, but now she was too old. Genesis 18. All of that. Helping us understand what the writer is saying in Hebrews 11 is this. God often takes circumstances that don't make sense. And calls us to trust in his faithfulness. Even when we can't see the way forward. Did you hear that? God often takes circumstances that don't make sense. To us and calls us to trust in his faithfulness when we can't see the way forward. Why? Because it strips us of us and forces us to trust in God. It moves us away from self-reliance that says, I got this. And it causes us to cling to the only one who actually has it. Sarah's faith is not in her ability to conceive, but in the God who is faithful to always keep his promises. The end of verse 11, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Brothers and sisters, what are you facing that doesn't seem to have a way forward right now? What roadblock? is in front of you? What mountain do you feel you have to scale that you think there's no way? I can't even climb a little bitty hill, let alone a big mountain. Are you up, and get up against impossible odds? You see, it's even, is it even painfully 
humorous to you how unimaginable your circumstance is. Now think about that. Is it even painfully humorous to you how unimaginable your circumstance is? You say, why do you say that? Because remember, Sarah laughed at what the Lord promised Abraham. That's just it. God loves to take circumstances that don't make sense and call us to trust in His faithfulness. Not only that, we turn to Abraham in verse 12. Abraham fathers a son beyond his ability to father a son. So we have Abraham and Sarah who are infertile. Not only are they infertile, but Sarah's old now. She's past childbearing age. And then bring in Abraham. Verse 12. Therefore there was born even of one man, and him, I love the way the NASB translates this, and him as good as dead. I mean, think about that. And him as good as dead. (laughs) At that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Abraham was the recipient and not the provider of what God had promised. Don't miss that. Because as you think through things, the the infertility challenge was ultimately with Sarah. Because Abraham mistakenly fathered another son. But don't miss the point. Abraham was the recipient of and not the provider of God's promise. The writer says that from born from one man, Abraham, and him as good as dead, was many descendants. As Pastor Jeff reminded us last week, but he forgot this part. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right on, right on, Father Abraham. Hey, wouldn't you have loved to have seen him do that last week? Had many sons all the way to the feet and the hands, the motions. It, it doesn't make sense that Abraham would father all these descendants. Be the father and the great-great-grandfather. Through Abraham, one man, many descendants are born. So many That who can count the stars in the sky or the sands on the seashore? The writer takes us back again to Genesis 15. As God reiterates his promise to Abraham that he will father a great nation. Abraham asks how this is possible in Genesis 15. Since why? Since he has no children. God, how could this be possible? God tells him that his heir will not be his bondservant, Eleazar, but one, one from his own body. In fact, God leads Abraham outside. Could you imagine? At th- th- this is at night. He leads him outside. Abraham, just step outside of your tent and, and look up to the sky. You see all of those stars? Can you count them? Well, no. So shall your descendants be. Genesis 15, 5. So, we have Abraham at about the age of 100. Think about that now. 
and Sarah around the age of 90. God always keeps his promise. Even when it doesn't make sense to us. But this is what faith looks like. Trusting in the faithfulness of God even when our circumstances don't make sense to us. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So, not only is faith trusting in the faithfulness of God even when our circumstances don't make sense, but secondly, beginning in verse 13, faith is trusting that we are living for our best life later. Faith is trusting that we're living for our best life later. Look at verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. Some translations use from afar. And I kind of like that being an East Tennessee boy. Seeing them from afar, right? And having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. In verse 13, here's what the writer is saying. In this life, faith is more of the inner experience than the outward reward. Faith is more of the inner experience than the outward reward. Why? Because these what? Died in faith. They died in faith. Wait, I I thought you said God is faithful and that God keeps his promises. The text goes on to say, not receiving the promises refers not to the pledge of God, but to some of the specifics. And here's what I mean by that. In other words, God is good on his word. But that doesn't mean that we will all see the benefits of the promises in this life. For example... Abraham saw the birth of Isaac, but he didn't see the innumerable descendants in this life. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, and all believers after them are living not for this world, but for another world. They saw some of the promises realized, but most were unrealized on this side of eternity. Brothers and sisters, that's the Christian life. God makes promises and he always keeps his promises. But we live in an already not yet tension. That scripture doesn't try to resolve. Much of what God promises us is yet to come. Not yet fully realized. Please hear me. Your best life is not now. If it were, what a cruel trick. That's not to say that Jesus didn't come to give us an abundant life. Man, he did. Praise God that he did. But by abundant, he does not mean filled with ease and comfort. He means filled with himself. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. You see, these heroes of the faith are strangers and exiles on the earth, according to verse 13. Having confessed that they were what? Strangers and exiles on the earth. This means at times we will be at odds 
with the culture around us wherever that culture is located in the Middle East or in the far west called the United States and everywhere in between. To be a stranger and an exile means we don't belong here. And it's quite obvious. I'm convinced that to be a Christian is becoming increasingly at odds with every culture of the world, regardless of where you live. Strangers and exiles stick out. In other words, you ain't from around here, are you? I'll never forget, Kathy and I first moved to Louisville. This summer will be 25 years ago. Having moved from East Tennessee, we had that East Tennessee drawl. And I remember going to one of the first restaurants here in the city and, and asking for sweet tea. And I remember the lady taking my order said, you ain't from around here, are you? I said, you think? But that's the, the image we get from the writer of Hebrews. You're not from around here, are you? You're a little bit different. You're, you're turned a little bit different than everybody else. When, when he says that we're at odds, that we're exiles and strangers, to be at odds with the world doesn't mean that we're obnoxious. That's not his point. But it does mean in many ways we stick out. The word stranger means not from here. The word exile, the idea is temporary resident. In other words, we're just passing through. In the New Testament, Paul says our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians chapter 3. Peter also picks up on this theme in 1 Peter chapter 2. And he says that we are aliens and strangers. In other words, earth is not our final home, beloved. But let me say this, and please hear me. Neither is the United States. Our allegiance is not ultimately to this country, but to another country. Not ultimately to a political party, but to the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not to say we can't be grateful for this country. There's no perfect land. But even with all of our faults in this nation, we are a blessed people to live in this land. So let's avoid the extremes on both sides of the should we love this country divide. If followers of Jesus will be grateful for the sovereign hand of God which placed them in this nation and at the same time realize this is not our home and much work is needed to seek His kingdom come in this land, it will go a long way to pointing out to people that our home is actually another country. Why? I think verse 14 through 16 tell us because your best life is later your best life is later verse 14 for those who say such things make it clear that they're seeking a country of their own and indeed if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out they would have had opportunity to return but as it is they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has promised a city for them. Your best life is later. Those who live as strangers and exiles demonstrate that their allegiance is to King Jesus. 
To live a life of faith is to live realizing this world is not my home. I'm simply passing through on my way to another country. If Abraham was living for this world, our text tells us that he would have turned back and gone back home to his homeland, Haran. Instead, he believed the faithful promise of God for a new land and innumerable descendants. So he didn't turn back. He kept his sights ahead. You see, what gave Abraham faithful endurance was not him looking back to Haran, but looking ahead to heaven. Trusting God in a world filled with uncertain circumstances and sinful trappings is accomplished by setting our eyes forward on the prize. We won't jump to chapter 12 and flesh that out, but... The writer, right after chapter 11, because 12 comes after 11. Some of y'all will get that later. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of Faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Trusting God in a world filled with uncertain circumstances and sinful trappings is accomplished by setting our eyes forward on the prize. They could have gone back home, verse 15 of chapter 11, but God was calling them to a better country, verse 15. 16. How do you endure the uncertainties of this life? How do you do it? You set your sights and your purpose on living for the next life. Your best life is not now. It's later. But in living for your later life, you can enjoy this life. How? By having the right perspective. What is the right perspective? It's living with our hands and our lives wide open. Pastor John Piper explains it this way. Faith considers this world and what it offers. Then faith considers the promises of God and what they offer. And faith desires the one over the other. Faith seeks another country. It sees the promises from afar. It's stunned by it and greets it and begins to confess that to being a stranger and a sojourner here. In other words, we hold loose the things of this world. And we cling tight to the world to come. Specifically, to the God who makes promises and always keeps his promise. Jesus said it this way. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As the world looks at you, would it say you're holding tightly to the world? Or that you seem to be living for another world. A heavenly one. A heavenly one. You see those who live such lives will discover. That when they leave this world for another world. Those who, who are living for another world. When they leave this world. Here's what will happen. God will not be ashamed to be called their God. Because he promised a city for them. At the end of verse 16, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has promised a city for them. Wow. 
God is not ashamed to be called our God. The implication is that if God were ashamed to be called our God, He would in fact not be our God. But why is God not ashamed? Verse 16 tells us. Because they desire a better country. In other words, they desire a better place. Namely, they desire the God of that place, the God of promise. That's why God is not ashamed to be called their God, because their desire is not in the world, but in God. They desire God rather than the world. As a result, God has promised to them a city. In John 14, Jesus tells his disciples that he's about to leave them and they become distraught, right? He says, oh, wait a minute, don't, don't, don't be distraught. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you. Because where I am, there you, you may be also. And it's interesting. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In John 14, 3, Jesus went to prepare a place for us. Now, Don't misunderstand this. This is not so much that Jesus as a carpenter went and built heaven for us. Rather, that through Jesus' life and death, he fit us for heaven. So what is faith? It's trusting that God is faithful even in circumstances that don't make sense. And some of you right now are feeling as if the circumstances around you don't make sense. Faith is trusting in the God who is faithful even when life doesn't seem to make sense. Faith is trusting that we are living for our best life later. The pain and the sorrow, the the, the fight of sin, the damage of sin... The heartache, the pain that each of us endure and battle day after day after day. One day we'll be gone. Why? Because God will not be ashamed to be called our God. Why? Because He has has prepared us for a city. What a place. What a place He has prepared for us. I ask you, friend, can you see it? Can can you imagine that place? Set your sights on this, beloved. And hear the words of John the Revelator in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. But I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. And there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And then he says, 
And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write these words, for they are faithful and true. This, friends, is what we are living for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. How it encourages us, how it convicts us, how it instructs us. We confess, Father, that our faith so often is watery, weak. Oh God, help us to trust you in uncertain times. To trust that you are the God who is faithful all the time. Help us to set our sights not on the things of this world as if we are living for this world, but help us to set our sights on another world, another country, another city that you have prepared for us. One in which there will be no more pain, there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more tears. All of these things will be wiped away by your sovereign, gracious, merciful hand. And it's in our pain now that you call us to set our sights on that day and that city and that time where your gracious hand will literally wipe away our tears. For God, we sit often in lives filled with pain and uncertainty. And you tell us in your word that you are a God that is certain, that can always be trusted to work in us so that we might more and more reflect the image of your Son. Oh God, we beg of you, please do that in us. For your glory and for our good. Thank you, Father, that you sent your Son. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and lived a perfect life and died on a cruel cross and bled for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have regenerated our hearts. You have made us new. Help us to trust you in these uncertain days. Because you alone are certain. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.